0: You are listening to episode 5 of the Almost Sideways podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Todd and Zach as we discuss the new Darren Aronofsky film Mother. We also discuss our most anticipated films coming out this fall. And Todd and Zach have a battle as we have our first Oscar trivia showdown. All this coming up on this episode of the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go.
1: Give me a go-no-go for
0: launch. There
1: is a new fiesta in the making as we speak.
0: I was going to say something that was
1: not true. Obviously, I agree. We are go for launch.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Again, you can find us on iTunes, search for Almost Sideways Uh, You can find us uh, at almostsideways.com, you can find us on Facebook, Uh, you can find us on Twitter, you can find the Almost Sideways YouTube channel, where Adam puts up reviews and other stuff. You also have the Red and Brown Podcast, which goes along with ours, uh, Adam and his buddy Talk Movies there. But today, we have a special treat. We have our first three-member-hosted podcast of Almost Sideways, so... With us today, we have Todd. Say hi, Todd. Hello. And we also have Mr. Zach Saltz back with us for the second time.
2: How are you doing? I feel like uh, the Apollo 13 crew, and Terry, you are Jim Lovell, and Todd, you are Fred Hayes, and I'm definitely Jack Swaggart. Because you
0: you came to this whole thing a little late?
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I have, you know, I get it on with a lot of women. No, I don't. <laughs>
0: Would would that make Adam Ken Mattingly then?
2: Yeah, there you go. Are the, the roses are blooming in Houston? No, Seattle. The
0: flowers, flowers,
2: flowers, not roses. Yep.
0: Dude, Sorry. get your quotes right. Oh. Yeah,
2: I know. I know. Disappointment.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we are the the trio that are host, uh, running this podcast for you today. And we got uh, some great stuff to talk about today. But we are going to start uh, with a movie review. I love this movie so much. He saved the day! Movie Reviews The one movie we're looking at today is the new Darren Aronofsky film Mother that uh, just came out in the last couple weeks. And this has been a very polarizing movie as it's it's debuted. The box office has not been kind to this movie. However, a lot of critics have. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to see what we think about it. Just warning you, this is a spoiler alert uh, review, because honestly, it's the only way you can talk about this movie. If you don't talk about the spoilers, you can talk about like the first 30 seconds of the movie, and that's about it. Actually, you can't even talk about that. So, uh, let's talk about Mother. Mother is the story of a married couple, played by Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, that live in this house, and... They seem to live this nice peaceful life until a strange man shows up, played by Ed Harris, and then later on a strange woman shows up, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who is his wife, and Javier Bardem welcomes them in with open arms, but Jennifer Lawrence's character is not too sure about this because it is their house and there are these people that are intruding and taking over. Javier Bardem plays this writer, and it turns out that these people are fans of his, and they wanted to see him, they wanted to meet him. And then from there, it all kind of just spirals into this mass gathering at this house of so many different things going on. Honestly, as I sat there, I was waiting to see when it would all tie together, and when it would all start to be explained, and I never felt like it came. This film seemed to be completely chaotic, which was what it was meant to be, but there never really was the payoff at the end. I was waiting for it to explain itself. Looking at the trailer, um, which, by the way, didn't feel at all like the film. The trailer made it feel more like a Black Swan type of movie, uh, which is what everyone expected, since Black Swan was also a Darren Aronofsky film. However, this film was not uh did not go down that road and black swan at the end you had this payoff that kind of tied everything together and this tried to do it but i think it went way too far off the deep end to be able to come back and tie it all together at the end to me it almost felt like i was watching mulholland drive or some other david lynch film that made less sense and to say that something made less sense than Mulholland Drive is saying something. Zach, what were you? What were your thoughts on this film?
2: Well, first of all, Terry, I have to say when I heard that Albert Brooks and Debbie Reynolds were teaming up for a movie about the mother, I loved it, and I loved this movie. I thought it was so hilarious. You know, when Debbie Reynolds was... Fu- oh wait. Oh shoot! Did I see the wrong mother? Oh crap! Oh, oh no! <laughs> You come joke. on, you're supposed to laugh. I was waiting for like you know two days to do that joke. But um, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, I I think we actually saw the the same movie. This is Mother with an exclamation mark. So the actual correct pronunciation is Mother, Mother. Um,
1: but it's a lowercase right.
2: P- so we. That's true. That's true. And you know, you mentioned David Lynch. Um, you know, it's just like uh, you know, um. Uh, the one that he did with all caps that we saw. Crap, what was that called? Inland Empire? Yes, Inland Empire. Wasn't that in all caps? It was in anyway. all caps. you were correct. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. Um maybe that's, you know, uh an unconscious ode homage to uh to David Lynch. Um okay, so Mother. Mother! With Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, um, I have to disagree with you, Terry. I really liked this movie. Uh, I thought it was good, um, and I liked it for all, basically all the reasons you said you didn't like it. I liked that it was chaotic, I liked that it was kind of all over the place. Um, I liked the performances a lot, uh, I liked how ambitious it was, and uh, mostly I liked the fact that everyone hates it. I think this is a fun movie to co- embrace because so many people are down on it. Um, I didn't think it was confusing. I thought, I, 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 going into it, I was nervous that it was going to be a mahalan-like A Mulholland Drive-like story with no coherence and random dream-like kind of apparitions, but I I didn't think it was that way at all. I thought it was a very straightforward movie. Uh, Straightforward in the sense that you understand what's happening to the characters in their immediate environment. What's not so straightforward is if you want to make interpretations about the deeper kind of psychoanalytic meaning of the movie, and we know based on um, Darren Aronofsky's career, especially with his most recent films like Noah and, and The Fountain, you know, he's big into kind of big metaphorical uh allegories so you know you there's been a lot of people on youtube a lot of kind of uh pe- people out there making their own opinions about what they think of the movie whether it's uh you know an allegory about uh the old and new testament whether it's an allegory about mother nature and the environment whether it's also about something about feminism or being married to someone with uh, who's a creator i don't know um that's, every, that's kind of up to everyone's interpretation, but that's what I liked about this movie. I liked that it was open-ended. And uh, I'm going to hand it over to Todd, but I do want to say real fast, I feel like uh, if these characters... These characters in the movie do not have names. They go by man, woman, wife, you know, whatever, mother... I feel like if these characters had names, people would not be reading this movie as a big metaphor for something bigger. I think they would just kind of read it as a twisted, you know, cluster F movie about a really messed up marriage. That's my hot take. And I liked it. That's another hot take.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, I actually like this movie, too. It's... Uh, it, it is pretty twisted I like when I was watching it I saw some like Polanski in it I saw some uh, almost Rebecca but and some like American horror story kind of thing and it, it really is like a, a total Aronofsky movie though it's it's like a, it's got like the ambition of the fountain but it's got the anxiety and brutality of Requiem for a dream and it's really it's a tough movie to watch but it's also really interesting and as these characters come in you start to know more and more about it and you start to see sort of what's brewing but then you realize how much is under the surface and the symbolism could be blatant at times but like it it also has got some like tree of life type imagery and like like things that you just impossible to really understand i mean it could be about the environment or about religion or mother and human nature I mean, you've really got to figure it out for yourself. There's definitely hints at all those things. And, like, uh, I saw it had a cinema score of an F, which is kind of hilarious, because usually critics and the cinema score are not complete opposites like that, but it just shows how divisive the movie is and how much, like, I it seems like something controversial enough that you have to really see it, whether you're going to like it or not.
0: Well, I... I would disagree. You said the symbolism is is blatant at times. I think that's that's part of my problem. Like you guys are saying, it has, it definitely has some sort of deeper meaning, and Aronofsky wouldn't make a film like this unless it had this deeper meaning to it. My question is, what is the deeper meaning? I know you guys said it's a little more open-ended, but when it leaves something open-ended, you at least have to drop a little bit better hints at which direction it's supposed to go. I mean, this this film, it You get to the end, and you wonder, what did you just watch? What was the purpose of all of this? Because it's all like leading up to, okay, something significant is happening here, and I just don't know what. And then nothing significant happens, and you are left wondering why.
2: Okay, well... You gotta do a little bit of an internet deep dive, Terry. This is a total 2017 movie, okay? You gotta look on the message boards, you gotta look at the Reddit, okay? And I'm gonna send props to my boy Jeremy Johns on uh, YouTube. Not that I really know this person, but there's a guy named (laughs) Jeremy Johns, J A H N S, and he has a great video explaining the the symbolism of mother. And to kind of um, reiterate what he says, he says that the Javier Bardem character is supposed to represent God okay well, that was and obvious. god has his,
1: his name is yeah. him with a capital h like that was kind of obvious that he's
0: god he even right, he even says at the end of the film when when he asked what someone asks like who are you and he says like i am i as a so yes he's god that that is clear
2: Jennifer Lawrence is is Mother Earth. You know, she she puts her hand on the wall and it, it makes her heart beat and she's full of, of this kind of grace and, uh, you know, the, the domestic sphere of the house is supposed to represent Earth. And then Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are supposed to be Adam and Eve. And that's why you get the scene where they go into Javier Bardem's room and it's kind of supposed to be the Garden of Eden and the tree and, you know, the thing collapses. And then the sons come in, they're Cain and Abel. And then, you know, that's supposedly the Old Testament Part of the movie because that's the first part of the movie, and the movie's interrupted by this part in the middle where nothing really happens. After I mean, it's the part in which she's impregnated by he, and uh, so that's supposed to represent the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's also a scene where water comes spouting out of the kitchen sink literally, Aronofsky throws a kitchen sink at us. I thought that was kind of funny, and that's supposed to represent maybe uh, the flood. Uh, And because we know that Aronofsky is a fan of that part of the Bible, uh, based on his last movie. And then we get to the New Testament, which is the birth of Christ and uh, the sacrifice of uh, the the Son of God and uh, these people invading um, Mother Earth and invading the planet and taking over and um, basically uh, it becomes an allegory for Jesus.
1: Yeah, and the the people were definitely taking communion when they were uh, cannibalizing the uh, young baby
0: oh that was just wrong in so many ways yeah
2: that was pretty cool it was almost as good as the jack black in school of rock i mean that you know that baby really just you know it was pretty awesome
0: <clears throat> okay so i i i hear you and that and that makes sense that that interpretation of the film does make a lot of sense but then okay you, you said like you know she puts her hand on the wall and it makes her heart beat. but no I don't think that's that's the case the idea I think what it's saying is with the very first uh, first shot of the film what it's saying is like this this constantly is being recreated so she puts her hand on the wall to feel what the uh, the last person to love him and love this house felt and then she knows what to do and that's why at the end, when everything is done uh, her her heart is taken out and put into the house and then everything is remade and then somebody else wakes up in bed and the whole thing starts over again
2: so is what it's it, called the it's called the resurrection and it's left behind like Nicolas Cage, you know, coming back it's leaving the door open
0: so so is he saying that that um he that god just continues to create earth after earth after earth after all the people screw it up
1: yeah i think it's saying something about like him being a selfish god because he knows like the eventual demise and yet he still goes down the exact same path and i think it says something to say about reincarnation almost too i i'm not exactly sure what what all that what all that means
2: I think it's just saying that the people idolize false prophets and false prophets are cyclical. They've happened throughout history, so inevitably it's going to happen again at some at some point. And I don't know if Aronofsky is saying that Jesus is a false prophet, but he is saying that God leads to this or the, the idea of the worship of God leads to this crazy idolatry and this this worship, this this mythos that happens. And so he's saying that that happens and it's cyclical and that's absolutely true. Like all these cults that have emerged over time, they always appear every few years, you know? That's stuff is never going away so he i think he's just kind of saying the same thing is going to happen over and over again
1: and they're literally trying to sweep the uh things under the rug the whatever that bloody hole that was going or whatever like they kept trying to just put it under the rug and it just kept seeping through after she cleaned it up it's like yeah it's like those things like never uh they never disappear completely they just
2: yeah, I and I did read an interpretation somewhere too that all the, all the crazy huh. that happens in the house is supposed to represent the ten plagues. I don't know what the ten plagues are, but you know, huh. there might be there might be some credibility there. I don't know.
0: Huh. Well, but see if you're going if you're looking at it and you're saying that it's Earth, and and I, it, it would make sense that the the sink the the throwing of the kitchen sink is the flood because then everyone evacuates, everyone leaves, and then they all come back later. Um, and it says in the Bible the earth would be destroyed by fire And so the house is destroyed by fire So the idea is Everything, it's like Okay it, it, Is he saying, I think he's saying We're not the first earth That he, God's tried earth several times <laughs> I think that, that's that's part of the message too And we're going to have earth Until we screw it up enough That he tears it down and starts over again
2: yeah, I, I think that's a really good reading. And that leads to another reading that I think is valid, which is that maybe it's some metaphor for the environment, which is that we've destroyed our natural resources so much because of all of our invasion of the earth that uh, it's completely just decimated everything. And it's led to fires, and it's led to these kind of natural catastrophes and disasters. So if you don't want to have that kind of christian or, or judeo-christian reading of the film i think there's some validity in looking at it as a uh an allegory for how we've basically mutilated the environment
0: that's a valid point point. one of the things that i noticed about this film um after i watched it i went back and looked at the uh the movie posters there were several movie posters that were released about the uh for this film and all of a sudden they all made sense um, there's the one that's a close-up of Jennifer Lawrence's face and the, her face is like cracking and then there's one that is a picture of her with her heart ripped out holding out for someone to take and then there's another one of Javier Bardem with like flames shooting up all over, all around him and when the first time I saw it, I was like well what in the world does this mean and then once you see the film it's like oh it all ties together now and makes sense
2: so have you changed your opinion? It sounds like you've changed your opinion of this film in the last five minutes. No, I,
0: I think it makes a little more sense now that we've talked through it. However, I think it 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 has to do a little bit more in the film. I mean, it can't be something where we have to go researching and say, okay, what do I, what do other people think about this? You got to be able to understand it a little bit more in the film.
2: I, but isn't that a definition of a 2017 film? I mean, people don't just go to movies anymore. They go on YouTube. They go on Reddit. Like everyone has to have their fan theories, you know, their their uh, the kind of perverse spectatorship about what the film really means, what the alternate meanings are. You know, so it's, yeah, it's a perfect film for 2017 audiences.
1: It's been a while since we've had a movie like this where it, like actually requires you to uh, discuss it. You know, like it's been a while. I mean, we haven't had a David Lynch movie in ten years. You know, like these movies don't exist anymore
0: that's true that's true i as it was i had it at about two and a half stars i do uh i did really like the performances uh i i it had me engaged the entire time even if i wasn't quite sure what was going on i thought i thought jennifer lawrence was amazing one of the things i thought as i was watching it is this is something different from anything jennifer lawrence has ever done before because she always seemed, she's always she been great in everything she's done, but she always seems to be this uh, brash, on-the-edge, in-your-face type of person. And this was much more reserved, much more held back, uh, which is very different. Javier Bardem is great as always. I've heard a lot of Oscar buzz for Michelle Pfeiffer, and I don't know how in the ten minutes she was in the film that would be an Oscar-worthy performance. But apparently some people think it is. But I I I did appreciate what it was trying to do, and now that we've talked about it, and I understand a little bit more of it. Honestly, I kind of want to watch it again, but I I might get a little closer to three stars, but I'm still I'm still probably in the two and a half star range right now.
2: Well, here's the thing we need to talk about, okay? Because you know the movie shouldn't require this deep dive into these kind of perverse uh, explanations of the deeper meaning. Because you're right, Terry, it should stand alone on its face. But I guess my question that I'm more interested in, even more interested than Aronofsky's, you know, biblical interpretations, which is, why is this movie so divisive? Why has this made audiences turn against each other? Because on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a relatively good score. I've actually have not encountered anyone face-to-face who's hated the movie. I know a lot of people have seen this movie. They haven't, no one's hated it. So, I guess the question is, why would audiences in 2017 hate this movie? And I think the reason might be a little bit kind of what you're saying, Terry, is that maybe the, the message isn't obvious. Um, I think it's great to have these kind of debates about movies afterwards. And the last movie that I can think of that really caused a divisive audience debate like this was Inception, the very last scene of Inception but that was a little different because that was one single scene at the very end of the movie. Now, it had a lot of great weight and consequence, but really it was kind of a yes or no proposition. Did it fall? Did it stay spinning, right? This movie isn't like that. This movie requires a lot deeper thinking, a lot more abstract and uh, kind of consequential questions. And so I think audiences today like to have the kind of yes or no propositions like at the end of Inception. I don't think audiences really like to think that deeply about the kind of metaphorical meanings of what the characters represent. So I think for a lot of audiences, it's frustrating that Aronofsky is throwing this stuff out at us and asking us to kind of do our due diligence in coming up with the meaning. Um, whereas like an in Inception, yeah, there's there's divisiveness, but it's sort of a yes or no kind of question. Well, I the don't difference know. between this That's is that Todd, uh, what do you think?
1: everything that we talked about, what the movie could mean or, or, or whatever, they're all like really controversial topics anyway. So I think that that just is turning people off anyways just the the fact that it makes them think about something they don't want to think about or get into an argument about something when inception it's not really there's nothing really controversial about it it was just like open-ended you know
2: it's like this movie's asking you to think about like everything that you just saw uh, over the course of the whole movie, not just what the last scene could represent. And I think that's really frustrating for some audiences that like to have everything kind of laid out. On the other hand, if you're an audience member that likes to go on Reddit, likes to go on YouTube, see audience theories, then maybe the film's a little bit more gratifying.
0: Well, I think some of the visuals of the film, uh, people might have trouble getting over as well. I mean, you're, go- you're talking about this... Uh... This film and what the deeper meaning is but there's some people who might not be able to get past the fact oh they just killed this infant and now they're eating it
2: Um, well those people are stupid (laughs) then don't go see it I mean, why are you in a Darren Aronofsky movie? See, that's the thing that I think is also kind of funny. I feel like people, you know, the right-wing conservatives will like this movie because it has this Judeo-Christian allegorical theme. And I feel like people on the left are going to like this movie because, you know, they, they're going to pat themselves on the back for understanding the deeper meaning of it. See, it's a very unifying movie. It's not a divisive movie at all. But
0: people go to the movies not to, or to be entertained, not to have to think about everything else that's going on.
2: Well, that's a hot take, Terry. I don't know if I agree
0: with that. <laughs> well, okay, so and here I think here this leads to, to part of it too. Having um, a uh, mainstream direct well kind of a mainstream director in Aronofsky, he's done some more mainstream stuff. You have mainstream actors that are recognizable and especially Jennifer Lawrence in this film, which meant you had mainstream audiences going to see it. I think that is the bigger the bigger issue here. Uh, you're right, we don't get films like this anymore, but when we do, they're found in the art houses for a month and a half and then they disappear until award season. You don't have a film like this be a wide release you know fall film that is supposed to bring in box office dollars. That's not what a film like this is built to do. So the I think the reason why people hate it is because the wrong audiences went to see it. The, the audiences a film like this is intended for are the ones that are going to go to the art house theaters, go to the independent cinemas, and understand it that way. But the fact that it was a wide release is what really skewed the perspective, I think.
2: Yeah, and once upon a time in the 1970s, there were great directors who made great abstract, mainstream work that had, you know, a lot of kind of psychological questions and no open-ended, easy answers. And movies have retreated from that studios have gotten a lot safer since then so i applaud paramount and whoever made this movie the distributor the producer for putting out a movie that uh is this kind of uh, obtruse and abstract for a mainstream audience i think in the 1970s people kind of expected this i don't know maybe it was because of all the drugs they were taking but today it's really refreshing to see that sort of um difficulty and uh abstraction in the mainstream cinema i applaud aronofsky
1: yeah, Terry's quote last, uh, last podcast about from Pi was, like, right on with uh, Aronofsky and how he pretty much conducts himself. That pretty much is exactly <laughs>
0: this movie. So, so the quote from Pi that I quoted last podcast that really encapsulates Aronofsky's career is, When I was a little kid, my mother told me not to stare into the sun, so when I was six, I did. And I agree it, it, it kind of sums up Aronofsky's career and it talks a lot about this film too in that he he looks at convention and throws it out the window and does what he feels he should do and almost if you tell him he can't do something he decides it's time to try and try and do it.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think it's it's okay to say that Aronofsky is completely egotistical in this movie, because basically he's he's giving us his interpretation of the meaning of uh, human existence and God and the divine. And that's pretty egotistical and pretentious if you think about it. But also, that's also what Lars von Trier does. And that's also what, uh, you know, um, Werner Herzog has done in Orson Welles. So, you know, to be a great director, you have to have a giant ego. And I assume this guy has a giant ego. And just like Mickey Rourke said in his two thousand independent spirit acceptance speech if you're not going to work for aronofsky he's going to kick your ass and and jay law and javier <laughs> bardem you know they, they they got up for this role
0: yeah i i i respect what the film was trying to be and i appreciate what it was i just think it could have been uh could have had a little bit more of an encapsulating ending to it
2: I mean, directors like Aaron Ehaszky, you know, they come around every twenty-five years. You know, the Adrian Lines, the, you know, the whoever, and then and then you know he's gonna tap me on the shoulder and say, "Tell him thirty, Mickey."
1: Exactly. Uh, Todd, you got
0: anything more to add? Uh,
1: no, not really. Uh, my, I I did give it uh three stars though. That was uh, I sort of landed on that rating just because I, I like movies that kind of mess with my head, and this one definitely did that, and. Even though it's uncomfortable to watch it, and I do have problems with it, it's still—I still think it's well worth watching.
2: Uh, Zach, what rating did you give this one? I give it three stars as well. I can't quite give it three and a half because um, e- even when talking about this movie, I still thought it was a little long at times, and I liked the first half more than the second half. But I will say that I think had this movie come out 15 or 20 years ago, people would have really dug it. I think today, with at the advent of all this CGI and kind of mind-bending cluster F movies, people now kind of take this movie for granted. But if this movie had come out in like 1998, it would be a classic
0: yeah well it it sounds like we're all kind of right in the same area too i mean i'm two and a half possibly looking at three stars um it's definitely a movie that's worth having a discussion about so i'm glad we were able to able to do that okay i think we're ready to move on for this podcast we're gonna skip right ahead and uh go to our power rankings you can't top that yeah definitely exactly exactly Power Rankings We have a special Power Rankings for for you guys this week What we're looking at for our Power Rankings this week Is we're looking ahead to the rest of this year As we're starting to get into the fall Get into uh, awards season Where a lot of the films that are going to be uh, big contenders Come uh, Golden Globe season and Oscar season And all the other awards What are the, our most anticipated films Still to come out this year? So we've all put together our top five. We were taking bets on who we think, or how many we think, are going to be overlapping. I think it was Zach, You said uh, over under two and a half.
2: Were the odds? Sounds right. Yep.
0: I'm I'm gonna before we release our lists. I I think we're we haven't even we haven't discussed them at all. We don't know what's on each other's list. I'm gonna take the over. What do you think, Todd? I think it's going to
1: be slightly over two. I'm I'm guessing around four. I'll I'll say I'll
0: say five. I'm going five.
2: I'm gonna take the under. I'm going two, because I think there's so many good movies coming out that it's gonna hard it's it's gonna be hard for us to have overlap.
0: <clears throat> Alright, well we'll see how it turns out. Uh, Todd, why don't you start us off with your number five anticipated film coming out uh, this year. Alright, my number five is The
1: Killing of a Sacred Deer. The new movie by Yorgos Lanthamos. Comes out, limited release october twentieth. And, uh, for me, I mean, after The Lobster, I think we're all really anticipating what he was going to do next. Yeah, and this movie looks even more bizarre than that. Uh, more uncomfortable and brilliant and strange. And the trailers are look pretty nuts. It's uh, about a surgeon who must make the, the sacrifice of a deer when his protege begins to act up. I, I don't really know what to say because I'm sure that we really know nothing about the movie. And watching Dogtooth on The Lobster are experiences that I really won't forget because there are surprises at every turn that makes you really question if you know really anything about anything um yeah i can't wait to see what happens here and the i mean lanthimos is one of the most innovative and like deranged minds in modern cinema and i can't wait to have my mind bent by
0: this movie all right so todd's number five the killing of a sacred deer zach why don't you give us your number five
2: Uh, Number five on my list is The Disaster Artist, uh, the long-awaited new film by James Franco and uh, starring James Franco and uh, Seth uh, Seth Rogen uh, and telling the story of the infamous Tommy Wiseau film The Room. Uh, I'm super excited uh, because I'm a big fan of The Room and this looks like a modern day sort of Ed Wood take on the making of a classic camp schlock movie. Um, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Allison Brie, uh, Kirsten Bell, the, the, the cast list is loaded. Um, I think it looks hilarious and I'm excited to see it.
0: All right. Uh, that one is not on my list. Uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer came up just short on my list, by the way. Uh, I, the lobster was crazy and I'm kind of scared to see where he goes next. Uh, number five on my list is probably the exact opposite of the Killing of a Sacred Deer. And that is goodbye, Christopher Robin. Uh, the uh, the new film coming out, uh, starring Dom Hall Gleason, um, who is turned into quite a big deal recently. I mean, he was he was just in he was in Mother. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Mother. He was in that. Um, and uh, he's he's going to be in the in the new Star Wars coming out. And here he is playing A.A. Milne, the uh, the creator of Winnie the Pooh. And one of my all-time favorite films is *Finding Neverland*, the story of uh, of J.M. Barrie creating Peter Pan. And this has looks like it's very, very similar. I am really looking forward to seeing it. If it's anything uh, near the brilliance of *Finding Neverland*, I'm going to love it. Todd, why don't you give uh, us your uh, my your number, number four?
1: Four is uh, a movie by Joaquin Trier called *Felma*. It comes out on November 10th. The IMDb description says it's about a woman who begins to fall in love only to discover she has fantastic powers, and uh, the trailer looks amazing. Uh, Trier had one of my top five films last year called uh, Louder Than Bombs. He also made a couple of my uh, couple in uh, foreign films, Oslo, August 31st, and Reprise, which are among my top foreign films of those years that they came out. And this uh, movie implies that Trier actually has a, a budget here, but it looks sort of like a practical budget. He's uh, He's good at making like intimate character dramas, but this one has some like mystery and sci-fi elements that make it look really fascinating. And it, I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Jeff Nichols made *Midnight Special* uh, in the midst of all his like really stripped-down dramas. It's, it looks like a really, really cool movie, and I'm, uh, I'm intrigued to see what he does with it. And even though I liked his American movie the most, I, I feel like a lot of his uh, dramas do uh, sound better in the, his native uh, Norwegian language.
0: You guys heard of this movie?
2: No, but it is a total Todd movie on the Based on the look of it
0: Agreed, agreed, it is a Todd movie uh, Number four, Zach, tell us what you got
2: Number four on my list is the new film by Sean Baker uh, The title of the film is The Florida Project Sean Baker impressed audiences all over the world With uh, Tangerine a couple years ago Which he shot entirely on an iPhone um, This movie is not shot on an iPhone But it has a sort of similar look Uh, according to IMDb, it follows a precocious six-year-old as she courts mischief with ragtag playmates in the shadows of Disney World. So, um, I love movies that are told from a child's perspective, and I think Sean Baker is a uh, phenomenal talent on the rise. Um, I like also that this movie is about Disney World, because Disney is notoriously difficult to get access to, so I think he resorted to some guerrilla tactics to get some footage inside Disney World. Um, So, anytime any filmmaker that can anger the Disney Corporation is a filmmaker I like. Um, I think this movie looks awesome, and I'm excited to see uh, what happens with Sean Baker's career.
0: All right. Yeah, that one, that one does look interesting. Todd, I know you mentioned that quite a bit when we talked uh, Oscar buzz. Yeah, I think it's definitely
1: a dark horse uh, Oscar contender. It seems like a real Oscar-type story, too. And I yeah, I, I love uh, Willem Dafoe's chances to win Best Supporting Actor.
0: And... You also said that Margot Robbie is currently your favorite for supporting actress for Goodbye Christopher Robin. So we're we're coming up with a, a few films that were on that list. Okay, number four on my list is the new uh, Joe Wright biopic, Darkest Hour, focusing on uh, Winston Churchill, uh, played in this film by Gary Oldman, going through some of the early days of World War II. Uh, I just watched a trailer recently, and Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill looks absolutely outstanding. Uh, He has a shot to finally win the Oscar that this character actor deserves. Um, One of the things I thought was really interesting about the, the story, or the trailer, one of the things that appears to play prominence in this movie is the story of Dunkirk, which... I mean, we've never heard of Dunkirk before, and now we have two films coming out in the same year about it. So I think that's kind of interesting. But I'm really excited to see this, see what Gary Oldman can do with this uh, amazing character uh, from history. And it might be, it kind of looks like it could be like the Iron Lady did for Meryl Streep and winning her an Oscar a few years ago. The same thing could could be the case for Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill here.
2: Yeah, and it's the second movie this year about Winston Churchill because Brian Cox was in uh, the movie Churchill, which apparently was not that good.
0: Well, and you also have the Netflix show The Crown where John Lithgow plays Winston Churchill. So there's just a lot of Churchill going around. Yeah, he's a popular um, dude.
1: Yeah, that movie did not make my list. I actually kind of think it looks a little like uh, a, like a, ha- a little goofy. It doesn't really seem like completely serious, but I'm I'm excited to see Gary Oldman in that movie for sure.
0: Right. I'm also I, a big fan of Joe Wright too, so a Joe Wright film, I'm on board
2: for. I would have agreed with you about eight years ago.
0: I don't think I. Actually just, like you're just saying movies. that, Zach, because he stopped making films with Keira Knightley. Uh,
2: that 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 may have something to do with it.
0: <laughs>
1: I think I've only given thumbs up to one of his movies, and that was Pride and Prejudice.
2: I like. I've given him thumbs up to one movie after Pride and Prejudice, and that was the other movie with Keira Knightley all right uh number three can kira can kira knightley can kira knightley play winston churchill she'd have to gain about 500 pounds for that
0: (laughs) that that a lot of weight yes that that. (laughs) all right okay number three is
1: uh ryan johnson's star wars the last jedi comes out on december 15th and uh I've always had to temper my expectations for these new Star Wars movies because I don't really have a lot of faith in the directors, but I actually really love Ryan Johnson. He made one of my favorite sci-fi movies in decades, with Looper. Uh, and he had complete creative freedom in the movie because he really is the only credited screenwriter too, which is has not been the case for like any of the movies that they've done so far. I mean, I liked Force Awakens in general, but I really didn't like Rogue One, even though it had a really cool trailer. This one doesn't really have a good trailer, so maybe that's a good omen, I, I don't know. but. I really am curious to see what they do with Leia after the death of Carrie Fisher. And I just, I don't know, I just want to go spend a couple hours with Poe, Finn, Luke and Ray, and bask in the glory of Star Wars at its best, which I, at least I hope it's its best.
2: Yeah, that movie didn't make my, my list. It, it would if we were promised some musical numbers with Oscar Isaac and, uh, you know, but it, unfortunately not. Um, Ryan Johnson also directed the best episode of Breaking Bad and the worst episode of Breaking Bad. So there's always that.
1: When he when direct Rabbit Dog, is that?
2: No, Fly, the Fly episode. That one sucked. Oh, okay. But Ozymandias was the best one. So, you know, he is capable of doing great Ozymandias,
1: things. Ozymandias,
2: yes. Um, number three on my list is uh, Call Me By Your Name, the uh, movie uh, that is based on a novel by Andre Ackerman. And uh, it's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. It's about, it's set in 1983. The son of an American professor is enamored by the graduate student who comes to study and live with the family in northern Italy. Um, On the heels of Moonlight, it's also a a coming of age uh, homosexual themed film. Um, I think it looks really polished and beautifully shot. Uh, Army Hammer uh, plays one of the main characters, Michael Stolberg is also in it. Um definitely looks like uh, an Oscar-caliber film written by uh, James Ivory. Um, certainly a film that I think we'll be talking about when the nominations are, are announced in uh, in February.
0: Alright, that film did not make my list.
1: Yeah, it didn't make Number my list Number three on my
0: list. But, uh,
1: yeah, it, it was uh, definitely in a, the long list of honorable mentions for me. It does look really good, and I do think it's a big Oscar contender. And the main character is actually the kid from Homeland, and you didn't mention his name. You mentioned like the other two people. It's kind of funny.
2: <laughs> well, I've never seen Homeland, but I also know he was in Men, Women, and Children, that horrible Adam Sandler movie. So.
1: And apparently he was in Interstellar. But that wasn't
2: worth mentioning.
0: Number three on my list is a film that I have a feeling is going to pop up on one of, if not both of your lists in the top two, and that is the new Alexander Payne film Downsizing, uh, starring Matt Damon and Christoph Waltz. It's a social satire in which a guy realizes he would have a better life if he were to shrink himself. Uh, Interesting premise for a movie. However, it's Alexander Payne. Every film that he does is amazing. He's kind of become this event director for independent filmgoers. When he comes out with a film, you have to see it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Downsizing.
2: Yeah, Todd and I were talking about this film before we started this podcast, and we both kind of commented that it looks like a great concept, but it'll be interesting to see how he turns it into a two-hour-plus narrative feature, because right now it looks like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Um, but we have all the faith in the world in Alexander Payne, so it should be pretty good, we're hoping.
1: Yeah, it actually didn't make my list, but uh, but I remember doing a list like this in 2011, and uh, The Descendants didn't make my list then either. I don't think he really has great trailers. This movie sort of looks like... Uh, Walter Mitty or something. That's the way it came off in the trailer, but I don't know. I have, I have total faith in Alexander Payne. I'm sure it'll be amazing.
0: All right, Todd, number yes. two.
1: My number two is uh, the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which comes out December 25th. And uh, we definitely don't know anything about the movie other than that. It's supposedly Daniel day lewiss last movie, and it's set in 1950s London fashion industry, and uh, it, it's supposedly coming out this year. And uh, PTA is one of those directors that, it really is a, an event for me. Like I, even like Inherent Vice, I went on a media blackout and read the book before watching the movie. Like, I I love everything that he, that he does. Every time it comes out with a movie, I have to see it in this one. Especially when he's reuniting with Daniel Day-Lewis after one of the greatest modern screen performances in There Will Be Blood. Like it, I can't think of a movie that I would be anticipating more. I just wish we had a trailer or something. More than one still of it. And, uh, yeah, I just want to see the movie as much as possible. Or as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, Todd, I remember hearing stories of you running out of the theater when the Inherent Vice trailer would play, just so you could keep your media blackout for it.
1: Yeah, that was, uh... It wasn't that difficult, honestly, because I only I think I only ran into that situation like twice, because and, and there was only like one TV spot that I saw for it, too. Like, they really didn't ad- advertise that movie all that much.
2: All right, Zach, number two. Well, my under on the two and a half is looking better and better, I got to say. It's true. Um, it's my number true. two film is... Uh, it's a, it's kind of a long shot. We'll see what happens. It is a Russian film called Loveless, and the director's name I'm going to butcher, but I think it's Andrei Zivostevsky, and he is the uh, uh, writer-director of Leviathan, and he also wrote a film about 10 years ago called The Return that I really enjoyed. Um, this was a film, it's the official Russian submission for best foreign film this year. Uh, the IMDb description says, it is about a couple going through a divorce, must team up to find their son who has disappeared during one of their bitter arguments. Um, and any of those kind of domestic dramas that have that kind of Eastern European depression um, in them uh, are right up Zack Salts' alley. So I'm looking eager uh, for a, uh, you know morally uh depraved sad uh depressing experience at the movie seeing uh loveless
0: when i made my prediction i forgot that zach was going to pull out a russian film and put it on his list for his most anticipated
2: (laughs) well it's not just it's not just any russian film it's by ziovaskev or whatever his name is and uh leviathan was a pretty interesting movie so you know i'm gonna go with it why not
0: Oh, I, I'm not doubting the fact that it should be on your list. I just forgot that that would be on your list. <laughs> Have you heard of this film, Todd?
1: I, I had a, I've I seen the title. I, haven't, I don't actually know anything about the movie.
2: I've seen Leviathan, but yeah. All right. How about your list, Terry? Number two.
0: Number two on my list, uh, we're going to get another overlap here, because number two on my list is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. Uh, I was a little disappointed by Rogue One, however, this new story that they have for the new um episode seven eight and nine, I really like the start of it. they um from what the trailer looks like, it appears to be uh continuing a similar arc that they've done with the other two trilogies, which means this film is uh if it follows what happened in the in the first two trilogies, it's going to be much darker. Um, it's I'm really interested to see where they take it. Um, seeing Mark Hamill back on screen as Luke Skywalker he seems to be one of the main characters in, in, in this film from what it looks like uh, I really enjoy the new, the new group and I'm excited to see where this one takes it okay I okay. think we are now to number one Todd number one on your list please don't disappoint me uh,
1: number one on my list has already been mentioned by one person that's the disaster artist uh, I actually just watched uh, The Room yesterday, which is, of course, one of the worst movies ever. But it's like fascinating at the same time. And the, this movie I'm about the struggle to make that that movie, and uh, there's a reason why movies like this and Ed Wood exist. Like Plan from Plan Nine from Outer Space is similar to The Room in that it's like almost like a, an auteur, but it's like a horrible, horrible movie at the same time. And uh, I expect this to be like a really dark comedy about the tortured, misunderstood artist. And James Franco directing it just makes it seem to me like it's going to be uncompromising at the same time. And the writing team behind Spectacular Now and 500 Days of Summer are writing this movie, so at least there's credibility in that. It's not just going to be, like, completely nuts. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It, it looks awesome. The, tra- the trailers for this look pretty pretty great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I I love The Room. It's one of the great movies of this millennium. Um, I feel like there was a little bit of uh, Lisa uh, and the Tommy Wiseau character in Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem and Mother. Um, I think there was definitely some domestic issues there. Um, And The Room is just uh, such a classic. You're tearing me apart, Lisa!
1: Yeah, and uh, they're really good at throwing a football around uh, a roof when they're standing five feet apart from each other
2: yeah and he's really good at buying flowers too at the flower shop i mean it's like uh, someone characterized the movie as you know if this movie was written by martians trying to understand human interaction there's absolutely no pulse for the way that people interact with each other and i love that description of it
1: well i I don't i think that tommy was like all right i don't think he understands english I, i feel like it's been like i feel like it's like dubbed like three different times from a different language like that that's the way it comes off like i don't
2: it, it's well, and James Franco weird. looks awesome as Tommy Wiseau because where is he from? He's probably from Mars, you know? <laughs> so we don't know. Yes. Uh, my number one movie is uh, equally uh, European and obscure, uh, although slightly less obscure. It's the new film by Michel Henneke, the great uh, auteur. Um, the film is entitled Happy End and it, sell- and it stars Isabelle Huppert and Jean-Louis Trignat, uh, who were also in Henneke's last film Amour from 2012, which got uh, you know quite a bit uh, big of release in the United States. It was nominated for best picture. Um, we know very little about this film. The description is a drama about a family set in Calais with the European refugee crisis as a backdrop, and we do know that the main characters are married, and their names are George and Anne. And if you're a fan of Henneke's work, every movie he's ever made has been about a married couple named George and Anne. So this continues that uh, that legacy. I love Henneke's work; he's very rarely disappointed me. Um, Huppert is an exciting actress, uh, and uh, I'm excited to see what he comes up with. Like like directors uh, uh, like. Um, you know, Oscar Fahadi and uh the Dardem brothers. Uh Heneke has Carn Bloche with me, so anything he puts out I will be first in line to go see. All right. Do you see why I said under two and a half, Terry? I, I Does it I make see, sense now? I see
0: why you said under two and a half. However, I think we're at three right now.
2: I think you're right. I think I think uh did you say three or did you, Todd say three?
0: Todd said four, I said five, you said two, so we all lose. there we go That's number number one on my list I didn't really expect to be on any of your list but I'm super excited for this film and it is the new Kenneth Branagh remake of the Agatha Christie novel Murder on the Orient Express I am a big Agatha Christie fan Uh, the the murder mystery genre that uh, she kind of mastered Kenneth Branagh always has an interesting take on whatever film he makes uh, he's got a star-studded cast. This is such a fascinating story, and I'm really excited to see where he takes it and how he interprets this entire uh, this entire story um, in this new film. Yeah. It does look very exciting. Okay, so there are our top fives. Uh, Todd, do you have any honorable mentions you want to you want to throw out there really quick?
2: Yeah, the
1: honorable mentions for me are basically my favorite directors I have a movie coming out. Uh, I got. Denny's Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049, Alexander Payne's Downsizing, Richard Linklater's Last Flag Flying, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, and Martin McDonough's
0: Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. All right, Zach, did you have any uh, honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there?
2: Yes, my honorable mention might actually be my serious number one pick, which is Thor Ragnarok. I cannot wait to go into that movie a little intoxicated and make fun of it, how awful it looks. I can't wait for Kate Blanchett's over-the-top performance as the goddess of death, and I cannot wait for the spectacular scene where uh, Thor encounters the Hulk because the Marvel writers can't come up with anything more original than the Avengers fighting each other. So I'm super pumped for Thor Ragnarok.
0: Yeah, I, like I find it. it interesting. I find it interesting that uh, possibly the two like the two films that are going to be thrown in our face the most over the next three months are going to be Thor Ragnarok and Justice League. Yet neither of them popped up on our lists at all. Um, oh, it,
2: I, I I have to put it as an honorable mention, or it would have been my number one. Uh, there, well, there. You I go. had to restrain myself. Uh, I had a few
0: honorable mentions uh, to throw out there. Um, I like I said earlier, the killing of the sacred deer was on my honorable mention list. Uh, Suburbicon, the new uh, George Clooney-directed film. I He seems to do um, great work whenever he directs. Uh, it's La- gotten
2: horrible reviews, by the way. You know that, right? It's gotten horrible reviews.
0: Yeah, I don't care. I, w- I still want to check it out. Um, the uh, the new film Lady Bird, with, uh, starring Sosha Ronan, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, I think uh, looks great. I have yet to see Sosha Ronan do something that I don't like. And the last one, uh, I love great animated films. And Coco, the new uh, the new uh, Pixar film, comes out before uh, before the end of this year. So I had to throw that in there as well.
1: Yeah, about Suburbicon, like I think mean, it's written by the Coens, right? Like I always have a rule when the Coens write a movie and they don't direct it, it ends up being really bad. And that, well,
2: I and it was like... and it was co-written by George Clooney and Grant Hasloff. So that's four talented people, and when you have that many talented people on the same script, uh, it's a disaster. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> but if this movie had been directed by Tommy Wiseau, that would have been a movie I would have wanted to see.
0: Well, there you go. Yes. When was the last time the Coens directed a movie? Was it Lewin Davis?
2: L- yeah, Lewin Davis, right?
0: Yeah, yeah they, they've been kind of out of the game for a while. Coens, start directing again! Anyways, too uh,
1: busy, like, let's, let's with recap... Bardo
2: producing what?
0: their tv show oh
2: no hail, hail caesar we forgot about hail caesar they did hail caesar
0: oh yeah we forgot that i think we all i think we all yeah, willingly that was forgot fairly forgettable
2: that. yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of yeah
0: <laughs> all right uh so let's recap our uh, our top five lists here uh my list number five goodbye christopher robin number four darkest hour number three downsizing number two star wars The last jedi number one murder on the orient express todd give us your top five again
1: my top five was uh, number five, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, number four, Thelma, number three, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, number two, the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson film, and number one, The Disaster Artist.
2: And is my that... top five is number five, The Disaster Disaster Artist. Number four, The Florida Project. Number three, Call Me By Your Name. Number two, Loveless. And number one, even though in my heart of hearts, it's uh, Thor Ragnarok, I have to give it to the Haneke film a Happy End.
0: All right. So there are our power rankings of our most anticipated films uh, still to come out this year. Uh, really quick, we're going to run through some, um, some films that are celebrating some big anniversaries. Uh, this month, this month of October, we're about to enter. And uh, Zach, why don't you start us off? Give us a little, a little brief take on uh, your uh, anniversary film you got for us.
2: So back in 2002, I was seeing a lot of movies as a precocious 15-year-old, and uh, I saw this awesome trailer for a new Adam Sandler. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman movie called Punch Drunk Love, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It seemed like an unlikely collaboration, but uh, the movie did not disappoint, and 15 years later it's still as entertaining as ever, starring Adam Sandler as the inimitable Barry uh, Barry is a socially awkward um, business, small business owner in the San Fernando Valley who produces toilet plungers and uh, he gets himself in a precarious situation when he meets a mysterious young woman played by Emily Watson and he finds a harmonium in front of his warehouse um, and he also gets himself involved in a sex, phone, phone sex scandal um, but the plot doesn't really matter it's all kind of about the mood and Punch Drunk Love and uh, the score by John Bryan is awesome and it It's PTA's shortest film, which is a relief in many cases, and uh, many called it Adam Sandler's first serious role, but if you really think about the film and you look at it kind of closely, really Barry Egan is sort of like the penultimate Adam Sandler character. He's not dramatically different from Happy Gilmore. Um, It's a movie that is really enjoyable to watch, really quirky humor. It's not quite a comedy, it's certainly not a drama. Uh, When Adam Sandler beats the out of that bathroom, um, it's a great scene for us all, all the introverts in us. And uh, a personal kind of anecdote, um, I think I kind of look a little bit like Adam Sandler on the cover of that DVD. So for many years, my Facebook profile picture um, was the cover of that DVD, which many people thought was me taking a picture of myself just to look like Adam Sandler, but no, that actually was the, the DVD cover.
0: Yeah, I I I had trouble telling apart it, that that picture. I I couldn't figure out if it was really you or if it was actually uh Adam Sandler. So I was going to say you should just claim the fact that you starred in that movie.
2: Well, uh, yes, the back of my head starred in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All
0: uh-huh. right, Todd, your uh your uh anniversary for us. All right. Uh following uh on the PTA
1: bandwagon Uh, 20 years ago, uh, Boogie Nights was released, and that is my favorite of all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. It is about uh, Eddie Adams and his initiation and experiences in the 1970s porn industry, going from basically a nobody to the king of porn. And uh, I love this movie enough that every year I have a fantasy football team named after one of the characters in this movie, or the character's character's character in the movie. And, uh... Obviously, anything Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. Uh, there's like 10 classic characters in this movie, and like it's about like the classic rise and fall with like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And the aura is brilliant. It's just endlessly watchable and brilliantly shot. And I think it's always going to be his best movie. I don't know if he'll ever make something more just fun and dark and strange all at the same time.
2: You got the touch. <laughs> you got the power. Everybody jump jump did uh, you, you, you see one. that uh, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg did you see Mark Wahlberg's appearance on Jimmy Kimmel where he sang that song again <laughs> it, was, it was great I bet it was oh you gotta watch it it was awesome
0: alright so my, uh, my anniversary for uh, the month of October uh, October rings the 25th anniversary of Reservoir Dogs the launching of one of the best directors of the last 25 years In Quentin Tarantino. Uh, He really uh, establishes a a feel and a mood all to himself in this film that has carried through all of his films so far. Looking at his career, he's always said he's only going to do 10 films, which means he's got two left in him. Reservoir Dogs is what started it all out, um, and it was a great start. It was one when I first saw it, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now, but the more that I've... uh, the more that I've seen it, and the more that I've thought about it, I've really, I've really come to appreciate this uh, this great crime drama that he created.
2: Holy huh. man, these are three amazing movies. Why, why, why is anyone going to see Mother when you could just rent any of these three movies? That's a wow.
0: very valid point. Very valid point. Just go watch all the old stuff and don't uh, don't worry about uh, what's in the theaters. <laughs> okay, so. Those were our, uh, our anniversaries, our look back at what, uh, at what did come out in October. Now, we're about to have a special version of Oscar Trivia. Todd is the master. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oscar Trivia. Usually for Oscar Trivia, we have uh, one person here that I quiz on a certain year of the Oscars. However, we have uh, two Oscar experts here, uh, including one... Zach, didn't you tell me you are currently or about to uh, teach a course on the Oscars?
2: Yes, that is true. Uh, Spring semester at the University of Kansas, we'll be offering a course in the history of the Academy Awards.
0: So, like, this is like
2: a certified, like,
0: college-level Oscar expert. And then Todd who is an insane Oscar expert in his own right. So we are going to uh, put these two up against each other and see how, uh, how well they can, uh, they can recall some Oscar trivia for us today. So the way we're going to do it is I'm going to throw out an Oscar year and I will name a category and we will go back and forth and see if they can work their way through the whole category and we'll see how far we get. And I guess we could say first one that misses one uh, loses, or we'll kind of keep a score th- running throughout. We'll make it up as we go along. So they do not know what year I've chosen, but they're going to find out right now, and we're going to see how well they do. So your year for Oscar trivia is the 2003 Oscars. Okay. All right. All right. So we are, uh, we'll, we'll start with Best Picture. Best Picture. And, uh, and, Zach, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with you, so uh, give us one of the five Best Picture uh, nominees that year.
2: We'll start with the winner, which was Lord of the Rings Return of the King.
0: That is correct. Todd?
1: Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Correct.
2: Zach? Mystic River?
1: Correct. Seabiscuit?
0: Correct
2: lost in translation
0: correct five for five on that category we're off to a good start let's now jump to best actor todd you start this one off
1: sean penn Mystic. you river. have to give me
0: the yeah you have to give me the uh the name of the the actor and the film so sean penn mystic river is
2: correct the true winner of best actor that year bill murray in lost in translation
1: Correct. Ben Kingsley, House of Sand and Fog. Correct.
2: Uh, oh boy, I'm starting to show my age here. Uh, <laughs> uh, Man, I even know this category. Was it Javier, uh, Javier, uh, no, Javier Bardem? Um, Who? I think I might. I might be gone. I I, I need to brush up on my two thousand three Oscars. I will give you one give hint. Up. Oh, okay. Your
0: your your one hint uh for one of these. The uh the character that
2: was oh, nominated. Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp. There.
0: I didn't even have to give you the hint. I was gonna say the character that was nominated also was portrayed in a film this year. Well there you go. There you go. Okay. So that is correct. Todd, draw it Mark, out for us. Hmm. There we go. Ugh. All right.
2: Why? Why was he nominated over Nicolas Cage and Matchstick Men? What What happened that uh, year with voters? I don't voters? know.
0: I don't know. I agree. All yeah. right. Best actress. Zach, you start us off.
2: Charlie's Theron for Monster, the best performance of the millennium so far.
0: Correct. Uh,
1: Diane Keaton. Something's got to give. Somehow that is correct.
2: <laughs> uh. Keisha Castle Hughes for Whale Rider.
0: Correct.
1: Um uh, uh, Naomi Watts, twenty one grams.
0: Correct.
2: That was yeah, that was gonna be my next one. I don't know if I can think of the last one. I might have to give up. I give up. Can you think of it, Todd?
0: Um not at the moment. Well, once you hear this one, it'll help you out with one later on, too. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to give you a good hint. Just just tell us what it is. All right. The one that you are missing is Samantha Morton in In America. Ugh. Oh, that's... Really oh, cool. yikes. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. That is a tough one. Okay. So, let's hear. Who's starting off this next one? It's Todd, right?
2: Thanks. Yeah.
0: Because you, st- you said Charlie Theron, okay. so... So Todd, best supporting actor. Tim Robbins, Mystic River.
2: Correct? I Djemon Hansu in America. Correct?
1: The true winner Alec Baldwin in The Cooler.
2: Correct? The Javier Bardem? Or excuse me, Benicio del Toro in 21 Grams. Correct. Yeah. Ken
1: Watanabe,
0: The Last Samurai. Mm. That is correct. All right. Moving along, Best Supporting Actress.
2: Zach. Uh, Worst uh, Oscar winner of the decade, uh, Renee Zellweger for Cold Mountain.
0: Correct.
1: Patricia Clarkson for Pieces of April.
2: Correct. Shori Agdashloo for House of Sand and Fog.
1: Correct.
0: Holly Hunter for 13. Correct. No Clue. It's a film that's already been mentioned three times, Zach.
2: Ooh, I should know. Uh, oh, um, well, Marsha Gay Harden or Laura Linney? One of them. Um, Laura Linney? Try the other one. Ah, Marsha Gay Harden for Mystic River? Correct. Okay. Correct.
0: All right. Now on to uh, director,
1: Todd. Uh, the winner was Peter Jackson for uh, Return of the
2: King. Correct. Uh, Clint Eastwood for Mystic River.
0: Good job, not forgetting that one again. Correct. Fernando Meireles,
1: City of God. Correct.
2: Sophia Coppola for Lost in Translation.
1: Correct. And Peter Weir for Master and Commander.
2: Correct. All right.
0: Boom. I kind of want I kind of give wanna, us a
2: hard year, Terry.
0: I, 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 I kinda, too I'm, easy. Well, I, I want to see if you guys can do uh do screenplay. Want to give it a shot?
2: Let's do it. Okay.
0: Let's let's dive into screenplay here. Uh, Starting with original screenplay, Zach, you've got first.
2: Lost in Translation, which was the winner. Correct.
0: Uh, City of God? Incorrect. This is definitely the harder of the two screenplays. Uh... Oh, uh,
2: that
1: one movie with, uh, with Chiwet Ejiofor. what's that movie called?
2: Oh, uh, can I say it? No. Yeah. Go for D- it. Dirty Pretty Things? That's Correct. It. It's Dirty and, Pretty and, Things. And, and was Finding Nemo also nominated?
0: That is correct, it was. Oh,
2: Zach wins. I win that category. Nice. Do either of you have any
0: of the, have either of the other two? No clue. One of them was you one know, you guys have already forgotten about once <laughs> twenty one grams so oh. uh, in America now the other one in America um, yeah, and the fifth nominee was the Barbarian invasions. Oh, that's Denny Arcan, yeah. that's a great film.
2: love that
1: that's kind of a rem or a kind of a sequel though too I, I don't know if that should count
2: yeah it's a sequel to d- the decline of the American Empire, but it it certainly was the best uh, screenplay that year and it won best foreign film, did it not in two thousand and three? I think it did. so
0: best adapted screenplay todd you start uh return of the king correct uh biscuit. correct city of god correct that is the it's it goes here wow
2: yeah uh Amer- american splendor correct nice uh mystic river
0: Correct. You guys ran that category, too.
1: Good I am job. the smartest
0: man alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we could call that one a tie. I mean, there were there was uh, one or two that uh, that Zack stumbled on early on, but Zack definitely had the original screenplay figured out. So uh, I think we're going to call that one a tie.
2: Was this the ceremony where Sean Penn went out and defended Jude Law and everyone didn't know what to say for about five minutes?
0: I think you're right, because wasn't this this was Chris Rock hosting, right?
2: No, no, that was the next year. Sorry, that was the 2004 ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. I don't rem- I don't remember this ceremony. Lord of the Rings kept winning, and I think I just dozed off at a certain point. This this was yeah. this was a dark ceremony for me.
0: Well, yeah, Bill Murray didn't win, so.
2: No, and as Todd knows, you know the two best films that year were Monster and Matchstick Men, and both got severely, um, you know shortchanged at the awards with the exception of Charlie's Theron but those were the two best movies that year everyone knows that
0: exactly yeah I remember the first time Todd and I watched Matchstick Men we watched the entire movie over again right afterwards to try and figure out what happened yes like we were di- we were discussing it and it just it just the DVD started up again and we just continued watching it to see if we could piece it all together so we could figure out how the ending came about
2: that's what I'm going to do with this podcast. I'm going to listen to it immediately afterwards and ask what happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we, uh, we're just about done here for, uh, for our podcast today, but uh, we are now going to leave you with our quote of the day Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. All right, Todd, do you want to start us off with quote of the day? Sure. My quote comes from uh,
1: the movie I was talking about earlier, Boogie Nights. It is uh, one of my favorite quotes by Dirk Diggler or Eddie Adams or Brocklanders or whoever you want to call him. He says, well, what can you expect when you're on top? You know, it's like Napoleon. When he was a king, you know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, in the Roman Empire. So it's like history repeating itself all over again. Of course, talking about himself because he's on top. <laughs> Of porn.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. He he was. Just the just like Napoleon. Napoleon of the industry. <laughs> 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 All right, Zach. Quote of the day.
2: Well, my quote of the day comes from the film I selected, Punch Drunk Love, and it occurs after Barry has destroyed uh, his sister's birthday party, and he confronts his brother-in-law and says, you know, I wanted to ask you something because you're a doctor. I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? And uh, Barry's brother-in-law says, but Barry, I'm a dentist. It's a great line. Brilliant. (laughs) I killed it. I'm sorry. Watch the movie. It's funnier there.
0: (laughs) all right uh my my quote comes from uh from my anniversary film i actually have two i want to share with you guys but first i'll talk with about a reservoir dogs quote one of the great things about um about tarantino are the inside jokes that kind of run from from film to film and it all started with reservoir dogs and the uh it's not a direct quote necessarily because honestly, I couldn't uh, I couldn't give a direct quote without having to bleep myself several times from Reservoir Dogs, but the entire sequence of uh, of Mr. Pink not tipping the waitress. Uh, I don't tip. That, that's that's my quote, which became an inside joke because in Pulp Fiction, uh, when they go to the uh, to the restaurant, Steve Buscemi plays the waiter. So it's kind of a fun little uh, little uh, circle there that Tarantino creates, which he does throughout all of his films. But the other quote I wanted to uh, I wanted to share, which I think encapsulates this entire podcast, is uh, from a film I mentioned. That's one of my favorite films, Finding Neverland. Uh, I, I mentioned it. It's it looks a lot like uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin is going to be very similar to this. And one of my favorite quotes from that that I say all the time. When someone asks me what's going on, my quote is from that film, and I say, Oh, nothing of any great consequence. Which I feel describes this podcast quite well. What's <laughs> it about? Oh, nothing of any great consequence. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, we are uh, we're just about out of time here. Uh, do you guys have anything uh, last minute you want to you wanna say?
2: I, I think the best performance in Mother was Albert Brooks. I'm still going to stand by that.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Thanks again so much for listening. If you found us on iTunes, please rate us, review us, uh, find us all over the internet. Uh, Check us out when you can, and we will catch you next time.
1: So that was a disaster.
0: Catch you on MNJ.